0: The scripture from today is from John, chapter 15, verse 1 to 5. It is, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Also from, another verse is from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 13. Just as a body through one has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink.
1: Hello, Elevation family. This week, we're continuing our series that we started last week, asking the question, Why Church? What good is there in gathering as followers of Jesus in a season when we're forced to be so disparate? And I've so appreciated hearing from some of you this uh, past week through emails and notes about last week's sermon, and I'm so glad it was an encouragement. And um, I just wanted to clarify a couple things about this sermon series uh, before we jump into the second topic this week. So the first thing is that um, some of you have mentioned to me last week how timely this sermon series feels to you as you found yourself wrestling with your own thoughts and feelings about church and questions about church. And I just wanted to reassure you that it's no accident that we're covering this topic um, at this moment um, because I'm delivering this series at the request of our pastoral staff, Melody, Melissa, and Helen, who have ministered to us so tirelessly through the ups and the downs of this pandemic and who've listened well to us as we have expressed our own questions and doubts and experiences with them They've heard us, and as they have observed and and listened to us, they decided that we should tackle this topic together in the more public format of preaching. And so it was they who asked me to preach on this topic. And I want to thank them today um, for all that they've done to walk with us through the craziness that has been COVID and uh, to minister to us at every step of the way, to listen to us, and then based on what they have observed, to continue to minister to us where we are right now. The second thing uh, is that I've heard from some of you too um, in your communications with me this last week about how many of you are feeling drained after nearly two years of this sort of disjointed back and forth form of church where sometimes we're in person and sometimes we're virtual. And uh, it reminds me of something my oldest Noel uh, said to me, I think last week in regards to having to go back online for school. She said, I just feel like I'm on a teeter-totter and I keep getting tossed back and forth and back and forth and I just have to surrender to my fate. (laughs) Uh, We, I feel you, Noelle, we feel you. I I feel like this whole season has felt like that. And so to this sentiment, I want to say, please don't feel that by uh, tackling this question, why church, that I'm trying to be prescriptive about how we engage with church in this season. Um, The last thing I want to do is reinforce any sense of obligation in the midst of our fatigue. Um, But again, our pastoral staff has done a wonderful job and our volunteers of, of adapting to what gathering as the body of Christ looks like in this strange season. So we've Have tireless volunteers who put together the hours worth of work to do these virtual uh, services. We have had our in person services when we were allowed. And then we've also, you know, that the team has also created outside of church gatherings. So the family walk at the beginning of the year or the mission Sunday where we got together and worshiped and served in different ways beyond just a Sunday morning sermon. So My hope is that with this sermon series, uh, we're simply um, reminding ourselves of the purpose and the goodness of gathering as followers of Jesus to learn, worship, share, and serve no matter what iteration church may take during this season. And my hope is that we can hold steady to that anchor um, and that central vision of why we keep doing this thing called church. So with that cleared up, Let's dive into our topic this week. So last week we discussed church as ekklesia, that first Greek word, ekklesia. And we discussed how it means um, in English, a called out people, that Jesus has called us out and called us to himself. And in response to that calling out, the first thing we do is we get together and we start reminding one another, hey, remember who we belong to. Remember who remember who's calling us. Remember why we organize our life this way. Remember why we orient our hearts in this way. And this week we're going to talk about a second Greek word. And that second Greek word is koinonia. And uh, I think it's really interesting if we look at these back to back, even the way they appear in the scripture. Ecclesia comes first and ecclesia comes first and then koinonia comes second. And it's almost as if Jesus is calling out his people to be his church, and then in response, we become koinonia. So um, I want to acknowledge this week a couple more reasons why we may be feeling disillusioned by church. Um, You know, we talked about the pandemic a lot, (laughs) all the time, last week and this week, too and how it's disrupted our understanding of church. But I'd be remiss if I didn't also acknowledge um, the deep hurt that we've experienced around the church, around some really big stories that happened in the same season during the pandemic. The first was the discovery of the unmarked graves of hundreds of indigenous children at residential schools that were all run by the church. And that was just such a gut punch. Uh, I know it felt unbearable to many of us to To hold the weight of of that grief and the fact that the church that we, um, you know, are a part of, not this specific church, but the Big C Church, um, has been a part of that kind of harm in the world. The second uh, was a podcast that really became a blockbuster during the season called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It was produced by Christianity Today, and Christianity Today reports that over 5 million unique listeners listened to that podcast, and it just really took North America by storm. Um, so the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast tells the story of the church Mars Hill that was run by Mark Driscoll. And this was a church that actually Duane and I were quite familiar with because, um, about I want to say eight years into our marriage, uh, we moved to Washington State for one of his jobs, and we lived in this little city called Bellingham, just north of Seattle. And Mars Hill is a Seattle-based church, and and we just heard and saw the impact of this church. It's fifteen thousand people, and 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 heard tale of this pastor Mark Driscoll who was so charismatic, but but really you know pedantic and 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 a little bit aggressive, but was just like leading this this huge movement. And the podcast tells a story of how celebrity and power really shipwrecked uh, Mark Driscoll and and how this church fell apart quickly afterwards. And the podcast is really clear that they're not just telling the story for the sake of the story of Mars Hill, but because the journalists and the writers are acknowledging that this seems to be a trend that's endemic across North American local church cultures, the celebrityism um, is something that comes up over and over and over again and and sort of perpetuates a dysfunctional um, church culture. And they ask the question, why? And I know for many of us, many people who saw the news about the Indigenous children watched the podcast— there's so many, I mean, these are just two of the many, many stories about the failings of church and church leaders, found ourselves asking, you know, what's the good of meeting as a church when the big C church is responsible for so much harm in the world? This is a big question. It's a hard question, and it weighs heavy on us. And again, we don't want to shy away from the hard questions, but we want to face them and we want to allow them to take us into a deeper understanding of who God is, who we are, and what he has envisioned for us as his church. And that's where we arrive at the word koinonia. So you've probably heard this word before. In fact, there's a church in this region named after that word, koinonia. Um, But what does it mean? Uh, How is it used in the New Testament? And what does it tell us about what it means to be the church? These are the questions we're going to tackle today. So let's begin by looking at the moment in Scripture when the word koinonia is first used to name the gathering of Jesus' followers. And it's the same Scripture we studied last week in Acts. Acts chapter 2 happens uh, at Pentecost, as we said, Peter and the disciples... Um, received the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in foreign languages, and they preached to uh, many, 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 many Jews from all across the world, na- many nations, um, who who happened to be in Jerusalem at that time, and they preached the good news of Jesus, his birth, his death, his resurrection, and, and the writer of Acts, Luke, tells us that that day 3,000 people were repented, were baptized, and joined this Jesus movement. And immediately, they began to meet and worship together. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says it this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And that word fellowship right there, that's the word koinonia. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So in this verse and in this passage, there are four things we learn that the people, these new believers and followers of Jesus did once they accepted that ecclesia, being called out by Jesus and called to Jesus. The first was they dedicated themselves to learning more about Jesus and and the the story of his life, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. This was they'd never heard this before, and they really wanted to learn it and understand it. Um, They ate together. They shared food together. They shared their belongings with one another and with anybody who was in need. And they prayed together. And then the thing that they did that we're studying today is they dedicated themselves to koinonia. Now, there must be something about this fellowship koinonia that goes beyond just being together because that's already insinuated in these other three things. Jessica Brody tells us that there's no exact translation in English for koinonia. Um, The Greek word is most closely associated with concepts of a holy covenant fellowship. Joseph Henry Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament defines koinonia as a fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation. And its origins in the Greek... Uh, come from the word koinonos, which means a partner, a sharer, and a companion. So Brody tells us, in short, it is a shared community that involves deep, close-knit participation among its people. So koinonia is more than just being together, it's the action of allowing ourselves to be knit together. So I know a thing or two about knitting. Uh, because when we lived in Bellingham, uh, I befriended our worship pastor's wife, who who was a knitter. And that winter, she decided she was going to knit some le- leg warmers. And she said, Kristen, why don't you knit some with me? And I said, all right. I'd never really knit before. Um, but we'd get together for play dates and coffee dates and with the kids. And um, and she she taught me. And we started knitting together. And And I, of course, would make mistakes. And she'd just laugh and say, oh, the mistakes add character. The mistakes add character. But even as she was laughing, she'd go in and kind of fix my mistakes. And sure enough, by the end of it, I created these really cool apple green knit leg warmers Um, I was quite proud of myself. Uh, Cut to several winters later. We were here, and and a few winters ago, I thought, I want to make myself an infinity scarf. I think I want to knit myself an infinity scarf. So I started knitting this infinity scarf, and of course, I started making mistakes. But all along the way, I was sort of laughing to myself, like, oh, it's okay. Mistakes add character. Only I didn't know how to fix the mistakes that I was making the way Kelly had fixed the mistakes. And uh, then... The scarf came out a monstrosity, Um, I buried it in my knitting bag, and we no longer speak of or see that scarf. Koinonia is the process of being knit together, and if we were left up to our own devices, our human idiosyncrasies, our hiccups, our dysfunctions, they would certainly create a monstrosity when knit together, but we're not being knitted together by ourselves. We are being knitted together by the master knitter who has the power to transform our humanness into something beautiful so that our community is marked by character and grace. Biblical scholars tell us that koinonia is a spiritual union that has two parts. The first part is that we are being knitted together with Jesus, the individual believer is being knit together with Jesus in a spiritual union. Another way that Jesus himself talks about this is as the metaphor of a vine and branches. In John 15, 1 through five, which Noel read for us today, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I just love this verse so much. I love the imagery of remaining in Jesus and that Jesus is inviting us to. Um, Not only um, should we, but it's possible to remain in Jesus and Jesus to remain in us. And from that source, that life source, bear fruit in our lives. It's just so beautiful and it, it really speaks to me. So what is Jesus telling us here? Well, he's telling us that a branch out of contact with the vine is lifeless. And a branch in contact with the vine bears fruit and is full of life. I don't know anything about pruning branch pruning vines. Um, but I have watched my husband, Dwayne, prune trees. And if for those of you who know him, he is arborist. He's certified. He used to trim trees as part of his job a long time ago. And now he just sort of does it for fun on the side. Um, but we have this big uh, Norway maple in our front yard. And a few years after moving... Uh, into the the house, Duane had got tired of looking at that that maple. It hadn't been trimmed in a really long time, and so he went and got some tree trimming equipment, and one of the pieces of equipment was this huge stick with a chainsaw on the end of it, and um, I just remember going out and standing on the balcony and watching him, and he was happily trimming away the branches, and he knows like which branches should be taken off based on how they're, you know, growing and the direction they're facing or whatever, and He was just so happily trimming away that he sort of lost track of the fact that he was getting really tired. It takes a lot of energy to hold this machine or this chainsaw up. And um, I remember watching in horror as he started to get fatigued and lost his balance. And the chainsaw started like waving around and he couldn't, I could see he couldn't get control of it. And I just had visions of it like coming down on the car, coming down on the balcony. Uh, luckily he pulled it back in but then he sort of you know like you could see he went white and looked at me and he's like I think I'm done trimming and I was like yeah I think you're done trimming too so he hauled off all the dead branches the branches that were already dead you know he took off and the branches that didn't need to be there would you know were on the ground so he hauled those off because they would be lifeless now they couldn't exist separated from the tree and yet the branches that remained flourished. They provided life. They provided a place for the birds to nest, for the critters to crawl. Um, and in the same way, when we are connected to Jesus, when we're knit together with Jesus, like a vine uh, and a branch, a branch and a vine, we, uh, we can bear fruit and be full of life. So not only are we knit together with Jesus, but the other half of Koinonia, theologians tell us is that we are knit together with our fellow believers as a body. So the metaphor Paul uses when he's writing to the church in Corinth is koinonia as a body. He puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given to the one spirit, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Speaking of drink, I need a quick drink. So Paul puts his finger here on a mystery that happens when we dedicate our lives to Jesus. That following Jesus means we are knit together with those around us who are also following Jesus. Paul uses the imagery of baptism here. He says we are baptized by one spirit into one body. And anyone who's familiar with baptism will remember that it's the process by which you're sort of dipped beneath the water. And then you come back up again. And the significance, the sort of symbolism of this is that when you go under the water, it's, it's symbolizing a watery grave where you leave behind your old ways and your old identity. And when you come up again, you come up as a new person with a new identity, as a follower of Jesus, uh, who, with a new orientation to, you know, what you value letting Jesus sort of direct the desires of your heart and the decisions that you make. Well, Paul is saying here that when you go under the water and you come back up again, not only do you come up as a new man or a woman, but you come up as a part of a family. So you go under the water alone and you come up as many. And how is this possible? Because we're all tapped into the one true vine. We are one because Jesus is our true vine and his spirit indwells each of us and is holding us together as one body. I mean, other places in scripture talk about Jesus as the head of the body, right? He's the head of the body and we're the body. He's holding us all together. John Wesley famously said, There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. And David Brenner expands on that idea when he writes, The Christian spiritual journey is a journey we take with others. Each of us must take our own journey, and for each of us that journey will be unique. But none of us is intended to make the journey alone. The myth of the solitary Christian making his or her way alone flies in the face of everything the Bible teaches about the church as the body of Christ. We cannot make the journey apart from spiritual companions or community. So why does God knit us together in Christ? I believe we get a glimpse at an answer to this question when we look at Jesus' prayer for the church in John 17. We have this precious moment in scripture where we get to hear Jesus praying for us, his followers, even today, right now in our homes. So Jesus is with his disciples and he's praying out loud to God and they're listening to him pray for them. First, he prays for them. And he says, but then he shifts and then he shifts to pray for us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. And he's meaning his disciples. My prayer is not for just for my disciples. He says, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. And that's us right here. We believe because we believe those who believe those who believe those who believed those first disciples and apostles, right? So Jesus is saying, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, the message of the disciples and the apostles, that all of them may be one. I pray this, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So you see here, Jesus is doing that, talking about that double knitting, right? That he is in the Father, and the Father is in him, and we are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us, and then we're being knit together with one another to be one. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. There's that knitting going on, right? We're knit together in this koinonia. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, does this unity mean that we're all the same? We're all homogenous? That's not true unity. The unity Jesus here is talking about is a unity that is supernatural because it holds all of us and all of our human idiosyncrasies together because it is a spiritual bond. Why is God doing this miraculous thing of of binding us together, knitting us together in all of our differences and our idiosyncrasies and knitting us together with Christ and with each other? Well, Jesus says here in his prayer, That because of the church as koinonia, the world will know two things. The first is that the world will know that Jesus was sent by God. That he wasn't just a man or a prophet or a rabbi, but they'll know by the way we love and the way that we are spiritually woven together that there is something special about this Jesus. I mean, how remarkable in our current pop, you know, cultural context and political context to worship together as a body um, who has differences, but who are being woven together. Uh, The world will look at that and say, what's going on with them? How do they do that? Who's, who's guiding all of that for them? It'll let them know uh, that, that there's something special about this Jesus and the second thing that koinonia lets the world know is that God loves them as he has loved Jesus. That's, that's what Jesus says in that prayer. To let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. How profound that our being the koinonia will let the world know that God loves them. We ended last week by remembering The Ekklesia means that we are being called to Jesus, called out by Jesus. He calls us to himself so that we can know the life-transforming power of his love for us. And then he knits us together as koinonia so that he can send us back into our communities, back into our homes, our jobs, our lives, to share the love that we have discovered with those who need it most. We are literally the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. We are his body. But that brings us right back to the beginning of this sermon. When I talked about the indigenous children, on Mark Graves with the indigenous children, the harm that the church has caused in indigenous communities, the harm that the church, local church has caused in the lives of people who who are part of those congregations. And we're left with the question, how? When When we understand what God truly intended for Koinonia, and then we see the stories on the news about these church leaders falling and these churches causing so much harm, and, and we see the disparity, really how different. Uh, that's not how God intended it to be. God did not intend his church to move and be in the world like that. And how do we hold that disparity and that difference? I mean, I think there's so much sadness and grief there and we, we might want to react by explaining it away or justifying it or denying it or minimizing it because it's it's hard it hurts to see that I was reminded of an email I got from our youth pastor Melody I'd shared this sermon with with our pastoral team and and she wrote back and she was talking about again how she too has sometimes wrestled with this question and she said i took a course at laurier in the fall called indigenous wisdom and methodology she's in her master's degree at laurier and she said so much of our time was spent telling the truth about indigenous people's experience and facing the significant role that the church has played in their harm and i just want to highlight from that email we spent so much of our time telling the truth This is what we learned, those of us who are able to take the uh, racial reconciliation courses with Fanish Juma in our community, uh, that there cannot be healing, there cannot be true reconciliation until we stop and do the internal work of looking honestly at ourselves and telling the truth. And it can be hard to look at these stories in the news and be honest about the church uh, but it is so important. I think that's where we start. I, I don't have any easy answers for, um, I can't, you know, in a 25-minute sermon, twenty-five minute sermon uh, give answers for, oh, this is how, you know, why church in the face of some of this disappointment and disillusionment. But I do believe that, that some of the power of healing happens when we first stop to tell the truth. And then when we tell the truth, it can be scary because then lament floods in, right? But lament is a beautiful spiritual practice. And I think before we move to anything else, it's good to just stop and hold space for that. And so as we're wrestling through some of these things, I don't, this week and in the coming months, as you're wrestling with that question, I just want you to know, I see you. I, I understand that you're holding this question about church. And um, I don't want you to try to explain it away. I don't want to give easy answers. But I want to encourage you to sit in the truth and I think we as a body can move towards uh, what it means to do that well and lament well before we try to get to uh, healing and reconciliation. This did make me think of a hymn that um, I've been listening to this week called, Is He Worthy? And uh, it's a hymn, that Shane and Shane have done an arrangement of it that's really beautiful if you look it up on Spotify or iTunes. Um, but I thought I would sing it to you, <laughs> just the first couple verses, because it really spoke to me in terms of this question of, of who we are as the church and who God has called us to be as Koinonia in the light of the reality. And uh, the song goes like this Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do, but do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Those last two lines really speak to me. It's good that we remind ourselves that the glory of the Lord is to be the light in our midst. So what is the blessing of Ecclesia? In koinonia. It's one, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus, and we belong to one another. And it's when we're being knit together, I believe the blessing of koinonia and ekklesia is that when we're being knit together with Jesus and being knit together with one another, that it's in our midst that the glory of the Lord is the light that shines in and through and among us and out and beyond us into, their, into our communities, our homes, our families, and our world. So how do we lean into this, especially during the season of this pandemic? Well, that's a question um, I just don't have time to answer or tackle today, but it's a question I've put in the discussion questions for our discussion groups to think about as we understand ecclesia and Koinonia, what does it mean to embrace the blessings of these things and lean into them uh, during this next season of our church's life? I'll leave that with you in our discussions And I will um, pray for us now. Jesus, we acknowledge um, in this moment that the church at large has not always been what you meant it to be. And our hearts break over that. And we bring that sadness to you. And we hold it there with you. And we also rejoice in knowing the truth about what you have created us to be as the church. We hold on fast and tight to the vision that you gave us for for what you are calling us to do and be in the world. We know uh, what koinonia should be. And we ask for your power and your grace through your spirit to be able to be that in this place, in this congregation, in this city and in our communities. May you, Jesus, the glory of the Lord, be our light in our midst, not just individually, but together as a body, for your glory and the glory of our Father. In your name, amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us this morning,
1: and thank you again to Kristen for teaching us over these last two weeks around this
0: question of why church? We have a lot to discuss. And so we would invite you to join us now. On Zoom. On Zoom for a time of discussion. We joined together around 11 o'clock and the link was uh, sent out in the email
1: this past week. And it should be here in the comments as well. And all are invited to join for a time of discussion for about 45 minutes. Thanks so much. See you next week.